0: Hey, this is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream, Refuge Recovery, and Dharma Punks. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I hope you're enjoying the Dharma. Together, may we create a positive change on this planet. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes. May our paths cross soon. Welcome, everybody, to the regular Monday night class of Against the Stream. I'd like to start by having you talk to each other for a couple minutes in the beginning to help facilitate building some community, whether you're here in the room or you're on the Zoom. I'm in a series uh, since the beginning of the year on the life of the Buddha and the core teachings of the the first teaching and the consistent teaching of the Buddha, the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. Tonight's topic is the third truth, or the third factor, excuse me, of the Eightfold Path, which is um, communication, speech and communication. And I'll give you that as a topic to talk to each other about. You can practice right speech as you speak to each other in some small groups or some breakout rooms. And I'll give you this prompt, which is, Three aspects of um, wrong speech, unskillful speech, ways that we create negative karma for ourselves with our communications um, are uh, gossiping. So you can reflect on your relationship to gossiping, to um, tail bearing, spreading rumors, uh, gossiping. Uh, Harsh speech. Using your language in an intentionally harsh way with the intention of causing harm, not not, not swearing as an exclamation point or a sense of humor, but you know actually being you know harsh and, and harmful with your speech. or um, dishonesty Communi- communicating things that aren't true or omitting the truth when it is appropriate, um, and all of the levels of dishonesty that we participate in, the exaggerating, the minimizing, the rewriting, uh, the narrative. (laughs) um, So as you reflect on your communication style and tendency and practice, what do you think you is, is most challenging for you to abstain from? Is it harder to uh, abstain from lying and being dishonest in some ways with your communication? And also think of this as all forms of communication, not just what's said, also what's written. And, you know, of course, in this day and age, everything that you post on social media is speech, even just a picture, even just a meme, whether it's your meme or someone else's meme, that is... Communication that you are karmically responsible for putting out in the world or, you know, perpetuating in the world. Um, So all forms of communication. What's most challenging for you? Lying or not lying. Harsh speech out of that moment of anger or fear or self-righteous indignation telling someone to go fuck themselves, flipping people off in traffic, also a form of speech, (laughs) sign language counts, also a communication, Um, or gossiping. Uh, So seductive to be like, you know what I heard? I have no idea if it's true or not, but I heard.
1: this really
0: cool juicy thing and let's spread it i wasn't there no proof i heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend that read it on instagram but let's talk about it let's keep this going may or may not be true so what's where, you know, maybe you see yourself in all three of those examples. Oh, sometimes I'm harsh. Sometimes I lie. Sometimes I gossip. I do all three at the same time. I harshly gossip while lying. <laughs> so I, I think, you know, part of the, the great thing about community, and this is, I think, weird for people who are just coming into a group like this, but a huge part of what we're doing is obviously is we're learning how to change our relationship to communication, and we do that by practicing. You know, these small groups that we do at the beginning of class each week is an opportunity to to connect and to communicate and to practice mindfulness of our our speech and mindful listening. You know, it's not your turn, and really, really be aware of that. I I do notice sometimes when I say go for it that one person talks the whole time. And so be really conscious about, like, say just a little bit about your relationship to speech. Don't tell us everything. And then let the other person then, like, listen, make it a practice to be like, you know, I struggle in this way. And here's one example. And then turn it over to the person that you're talking to. What's it like for you? To make sure that that act of generosity of listening is, is part of the practice. Um. So let me open these breakout rooms. And if you're in the room, find you know, two or three people, preferably that you don't know so well, so that you make some new connections and talk about your uh, mindfulness of speech and being careful and honest. And... Although this teaching primarily is focusing on our um, external communication, As we meditate, it's also um, very important to observe and direct our inner dialogue and to um, learn to speak to ourselves in the same way, in the honest, kind, truthful. Um, And the more you meditate, the more you see the difference between volitional and non-volitional mental activity, the thoughts that are just, you know, that, that inner critic that we all have, that inner dialogue that the mind does all by itself. That's not your fault. You know, when your mind just says, Hey, fuck you. <laughs> um, and, but you're not really trying, you know, you're not really trying to do that. It's not intentional. It's not. Um, it just feels like it's the, the mind being critical which is different than when we are uh, engaged in it and we are sort of volitionally and intentionally thinking unwise thoughts. I hope this makes sense. My, my experience is, no matter how long I've meditated, I haven't been able to stop Mara, the unwholesome, unwise thoughts from arising you can't stop your mind from thinking ignorant thoughts unkind thoughts critical thoughts judgmental thoughts they arise but with mindfulness you can catch it and know oh that's not right speech <laughs> that's not the kind of thought I want to feed that's not the kind of inner dialogue I want to be having and choose to disengage from it, rather than get caught in the the judgments and really feeding them and believing them and uh, incarnating as judgmental, rather than just watching the judgmental thought arise and pass. So um, in our meditation tonight, and I'll open uh, pretty quickly to the third foundation, to observe what kind of inner dialogue your mind is having with the awareness that it's not your fault and the awareness that you can start to replace. One of the things the Buddha says is um, when that unwholesome thought has arisen, replace it with a wholesome thought. When a resentment is here and you're like, yeah, fuck that person, how dare they? Start saying, I forgive you. Start sending compassion and forgiveness to, that person and bringing in that volitional kind compassionate forgiving thought pattern even if it's not totally sincere yet training the mind to think in a more uh, loving and compassionate way and it will eventually in the beginning my experience is the sort of fake it till you make it I, i did it for a long time and didn't mean it and then eventually started to mean it started to feel it, started to uh, see that my mind naturally became more kind, more honest, more compassionate. So find a way to sit that's upright and relaxed. Allowing our eyes to be gently closed, we establish non-judgmental present-time awareness
2: of the body, of the heart, the mind, the sense doors.
0: And intentionally establishing an attitude of friendliness, of kindness, of Acceptance, accepting this mind as we train it, this body, as we investigate and tolerate
2: and appreciate it. And for the
0: first five minutes or so, find an anchor to the present time experience. For most, it's the breath, mindfulness of the breath. For some, sound is a better anchor object, present time experience, turning your mindfulness towards hearing, or perhaps sensation of sitting. Focusing your attention on the sensations created by contact with the chair and the cushion. But choose one sensory experience and let that be the primary object of your awareness the breath coming and going, or the sounds arising and
2: passing. Letting the thoughts be in the background for now. So we're
0: trying to ignore the mind and pay attention to the chosen object of breath or sound or contact, the mind
2: continues to have its own dialogue, thoughts.
0: you're new to the practice you can keep coming back to the non-judgmental awareness of the body sitting breathing
2: you can continue to ignore your mind
0: the buddha's encouragement was to expand beyond concentrating in the body to bringing mindfulness to our whole being including The arising and passing of thought. The third foundation, turning towards your mind. Observing, listening, knowing.
2: As we talk about
0: communication, speech. Listen to the inner, the tone of your own inner thoughts. How do you speak to yourself? How do you think about others? Are those thoughts pleasant or unpleasant or neutral?
2: Are they kind or are they critical? How much of what our mind is saying isn't even true? fear-based dishonesty arising in our own mind.
0: Mindfulness is inclusive of our whole being, what's happening, the sensations, the emotions, the thoughts. And the feeling tone, the pleasant, the unpleasant and the neutral perception of what we're experiencing. Learning to become more and more tolerant of discomfort, sitting with it. Breathing into it. the last few minutes replacing what the mind's doing with loving kindness.
2: By saying the phrases, may I be happy to ourselves, may I be at ease, may I be free from suffering,
0: generating Unconditional friendliness and
2: kindness towards ourselves. Placing the thought in your mind, may I be happy. And breathing it in and whether you mean it or don't mean it. May I be at ease, remembering that this means
0: that we aspire to be at ease with our experience just as it is, pleasant or unpleasant, joy or sorrow.
2: May you I know, be free from suffering about what's happening?
0: The suffering of clinging, of craving, the suffering of aversion and resentment, the suffering of believing the confused thoughts that my mind experiences, extending this loving kindness to the people you were talking to in your small groups tonight. Everybody gathered, our Sangha community, wishing for happiness and ease and freedom for each other, just as I wish to be happy, I wish for your happiness. May you be at ease with your experience just as it is May you be free from
2: suffering about your experience in your mind and your heart and your body. Free from suffering about the experience in this world.
0: And as a community, together extending this loving-kindness outward in all directions. Until we include all living beings in all forms, all realms of existence, all sentient. The seen and the unseen. those being born and those dying, may all living beings learn to be at ease.
2: May all living beings
0: do what needs to be done to experience the freedom from suffering that's possible. As the formal meditation instructions period ends, don't stop being mindful, continue the present time awareness, continue the awareness of what your mind is doing, your body is experiencing. I'll take a moment before I get into my uh, talk tonight to just reflect on what just happened. What did your mind do? What did your body experience? How did you relate to the last 30 minutes? How much of the inner dialogue was volitional? You were making some plans, thinking about some shit, intentionally, really indulging. And how much of it was non volitional? You were really trying to be with the present embodied experience, but the mind kept wandering, thinking, calling for your attention all by itself without, like, I wasn't trying to think, but my mind kept suggesting all kinds of shit to think about. be a really great practice to um, reflect after meditation rather than just meditations over and you go on to listening to the talk or one friend colleague jason sif who encourages all of his students to uh, keep a meditation journal after you meditate write about what happened in your meditation reflect on it recollect A little bit of analysis, a little bit of but just bringing that non-judgmental awareness to like, this is what my mind is doing, what my experience is in meditation. And it's a, a great thing to do. So our topic tonight is the third factor of the Eightfold Path about communication. still in the series of the Buddha explaining his path to awakening to his friends at Saranath. First turning of the wheel, it's called, where he first uh, put into words how he came to his awakening and was explaining to his friends that awakening is possible and that this is how we get there. Starting, uh, you know, last couple weeks, understanding karma, cause and effect, the importance of, of our intentions on karma, last week we talked about. Tonight is also about karma. I mean, almost all of this teaching is about karma. Why is being careful with our communication important? Because we are karmically responsible for everything that we communicate. And every um, wise communication has a wise karmic fruit, momentum. And every unwise, unskillful communication, we're then creating some negative consequence for ourselves. Starting by thinking about, you know, and and the first piece of this teaching is the importance of honesty. And us all humbly admitting that it's actually quite hard to be honest. To be rigorously truthful. And I think part of that is because we live with a mind that isn't honest. I don't, uh, is it too far to... Admit that your mind is a liar. I mean, is that obvious that your mind lies to you?
2: It's, it's a little bit hard, right?
0: Because we think we're all so self-centered. We think, no, no, I'm, I'm right all the time. What I'm thinking is the truth. Everybody else is full of shit, but what, my thoughts, I'm... We all have a little bit of that confusion where we believe our minds, even though if we recollect and reflect and look back at how many lies has your mind told you today? If you're really being mindful of the shit your mind was saying to you today. There's this... um, Aspect of the mind that the Buddha referred to as Mara. Mara manifests as lust. Lust is the thought. I would be happy if I was having this sense pleasure. That would be a source of happiness, of contentment. Mara manifests as um, anger and resentment. And uh, if I got revenge, I'd be happy. If I caused harm to this person who has harmed me, if they were suffering, that would be good. Mara manifests as unworthiness and self-doubt. All of those thoughts, common thoughts, you have some lust, some aversion, some doubt. All of us have it, probably lots of times every day but all three of those categories are lies is confusion is ignorance the you know the, the the thought that you'll be happy when you satisfy your craving has it ever been true yet how many cravings have you satisfied so far in this incarnation how many millions of times did you get what you wanted whether it was a fucking sandwich or whatever it was. And you were really convinced, I'm going to be so fucking happy when I eat that sandwich. And maybe, I mean, hopefully you've had some amazing sandwiches and it's been really satisfying for 15 minutes. And you had that experience. But the idea of like, no, I'm going to be like, Maybe sandwich is the wrong example, but so often when we're lusting after a sense pleasure and it can be food or it can be sex or it can be a material thing or an experience that we think I need to have and it's kind of money, success, a new motorcycle, a new car, a new pair of shoes, New tattoo? Fuck, might I gonna get my head tattooed? I'm gonna be stoked.
1: <laughs>
0: the topper, that's it. Just whatever that thought of craving. And you know, we all hopefully you're at the place already where you're like, yeah, those everything's so impermanent. It's and that craving for the next thing is so repetitive, nothing works but my mind keeps telling me this one will work. This experience will be really satisfying long-term. You're gonna like this for, my son, for whatever reason, I was just thinking about uh, maybe because of the way I'm raising him or his own just sort of self-awareness. He'll even say to me now, this really mature thing, well, he'll be like, I really need that thing. He said, I think I'll enjoy it for like at least a week. (laughs) Like his own experience already is like knowing that like he gets the thing. And it's fun for like maybe a week, sometimes only a day. Sometimes, you know, before it goes on the shelf, that new toy or that new. And one time he was trying to convince me to buy something. He's like, dad, Two, like two weeks. That will be like two weeks of happiness <laughs> if I can get that thing. And I love the insight in that, that so often we don't have, right? Like how often are you going into some sensual material craving re- with the understanding that it is impermanent, that it will only temporarily satisfy. It won't last. So Mara that that tries to convince us that the sense pleasure or the material thing or the, that tries to convince us, how often has your mind told you that you're unworthy? Doubted your own ability, doubted your own capacity for awakening or your own, uh, that you fit in or that you belong or that you'll be accepted, all of that self-doubt, self centered fear.
2: Mara is a liar.
0: And I think that this is important because we all have it, it's the human condition. We all live with this mind that lies, that tells us things that are not definition of lying, saying something that's not true. And our minds say shit that's not true over and over, but we tend to believe it. And then we tend to start communicating things that aren't true. And I think that the important part here is that, because we're we're getting around to the importance of communicating rigorous honesty, you have to be mindful because you've got to have some discernment about what your mind is saying and telling you to say or thing to do You have to have some healthy skepticism. Is this even true? What my mind is telling me to say or do? Is this even true? Because without mindfulness, most of the time, you just my experience before meditation was I just believed my mind. And it told me to say stuff, and I just said it. Sometimes I was aware that it was a volitional lie. (laughs) Sometimes I wasn't. I actually thought I was telling the truth and later realized, God, I was so full of shit. I didn't even know how full of shit I was because I wasn't mindful and didn't have any discernment on what thoughts were trustworthy and ones what was just out of fear and out of conditioned ignorance. That part of our mind that lies, we'll call it Mara, bad news is, good news is, it's not your fault, it's not personal, you're not a bad person, you're not a dirty liar, you just have the human mind that is confused and doesn't, you know, know the truth all of the time, the untrained mind. There's a place in the teachings where the Buddha is talking about people that don't meditate, but that have strong opinions strong views. They really know what's true, although they don't even know their own mind. They're just believing they're, he said, these untrained worldlings that go around annoying each other with their views and opinions. And that's us, right? I, I, I'm, I'm one of those. I love to annoy people with my views and opinions. And I'm really annoyed by other people's views and opinions. Pretty sure that my views and opinions are. Better than your views and opinions without having that humility to be like, wow, this, I really need to train my mind and check it out and investigate it and see how much of this is actually lines up with what's true and what's important and what's actually wisdom and, and compassion rather than just blurting out something and, and maybe connected to gossip. I'm going to get there around speech, but how much of our views and opinions are formed based on hearsay? I think about how how much stuff do you believe because someone else told you it was true? Secondhand experience, including religious and spiritual, even, even Buddhist stuff. One of the things I love about Buddhism is it says, don't believe this, find out for yourself. Know it's true for yourself. One of the only religious spiritual teachings that doesn't just say, this is the truth, believe it, because we say so. Buddhism says investigate it, use your mindfulness, use your own direct experience to develop discernment, to know what is true directly. Rather than because it's written in the books, because it's presented, because it's the tradition, you know, like we fall back on that. Well, it's been a tradition for thousands of years. So could have been based on a lie. Just because somebody said it and people have been re-saying it for thousands of years doesn't mean it's true. And that healthy skepticism healthy investigation of what we believe and what we're then espousing as, well, this is what's true, how much of it is based on gossip and hearsay and second, third-hand games of telephone where it gets mixed up as it gets passed on. And so much of what Buddhism is trying to direct us to is investigate this, to have your own, what's it feel like when you speak in a dishonest way, right? So here's this teaching I'm going to tell you. It's important to be honest. (laughs) Why? Right? Rather than just believing that and being like, yeah, well, that's, the Buddha said it's important to tell the truth. So I'm going to tell the truth. Why? What's it feel like when you lie? if you're not a sociopath or a complete narcissist, you're gonna have an experience of like, oh, lying kind of hurts. I have some fear. I have some uh, regret. I have some, you know, I'm afraid I'm gonna get caught. I feel uh, out of integrity when I lie. There's a karmic, an an immediate, instant karmic consequence consequence to dishonesty. If you have any, you know, if you aren't so traumatized that you don't feel it. Some people, I think, are so wounded that they don't seem to feel it and, you know, become kind of sociopaths or something. But most of us have, a we're sensitive beings. If you allow yourself to tune in and be like, lying hurts me, even if it allows me to get away with some shit I'm trying to get away with. It hurts me if I'm being aware, if I'm being mindful. The consequence of dishonesty is unpleasant. How often are you lying, are we lying,
2: to try to avoid unpleasantness?
0: My parents, for whatever reason... um, Really believe, and I I get into this a little bit as a parent too. Really believe that it's really important to lie to the children to try to protect them. I do this a little bit. I I, I think one of the main places that I'm probably a little bit dishonest is with my kids about stuff that I feel like I'm trying to protect them from. Like my kids at one point, you know, kids go through that um, death awareness phase. And then they start to ask you, like, well, are you going to die? Like, we could die at any moment. And you don't want to be too rigorously honest and be like, yep. (laughs) This could be it for
1: us.
0: (laughs) I might not make it home. (laughs) Goodbye forever, just in case.
1: Like, you you know,
0: so there's this sort of subtle dishonesty of like, yeah, well, sure, we're going to die. But probably when we're really old. Statistically, we should live till about 80, be okay. And it's this kind of bullshit, right? It's this little bit of, maybe it's skillful, maybe, you know, in order to not traumatize children, you have to lie to them a little bit. But I saw my parents do it into my adulthood, where they would continue to lie and be like, well, we don't wanna, you know, my father was terminally ill at the end of his life. And I was like, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm fine. Totally lying about rather than just being honest and saying like i'm dying i was traveling in um, india and we got back from india with some friends and one of my friends uh, was like oh fuck i forgot to get anything for my like nieces and nephews and extended family so he went down to the beach and he filled up a bunch of tubes with sand from the california beach
1: <laughs>
0: and then he went and gave to all of his he's like it will hurt him so much that i forgot to give them some, you know i can't tell them the truth that i didn't so i'm just going to give them these vials of sand and say it's from the ganges
1: <laughs> this is
0: sacred sand from india it was blessed <laughs> So thinking about how often you are um, dishonest, we are dishonest, and and why? Why? why am I dishonest sometimes? Or even on that subtle level of exaggeration, I have a tendency to round up. I just watch my mind to do it. You know, even with like, uh, how many people are in the room? I'm like, well, there's forty-seven. I'm fifty. There's fifty. No, there was forty-seven. But my mind will, you know, just sort of exaggerate it a little bit, and usually. Uh, and something that feels good, I'm exaggerating. Like there's a, an inflation of an exaggeration. Rarely am I exaggerating something uh, to my detriment. I'm, then I'm minimizing. Rounding down. And just watching that tendency of rather than just the facts, a little bit bigger than it actually was, a little bit. And how much of that is this sort of ego? How much of when you're, you know, I'm thinking, why do you lie? What is it? Is it a, somewhere we're protecting ourselves or we're inflating our sense of self or trying to minimize our deflation or disappointment or trying to get away with something? We've done something unskillful and we're not being honest about it. Or. So when it comes to communication, to protect our karma, a commitment to honesty, and the humility that knows this is going to be a long-term lifetime practice. And that you're battling a mind that's not very awake and not very honest and not very clear a lot of the time about what's true and what's not true, that has a lot of delusions and a lot of self-centered, self-protective tendencies. But part of our central part of the Buddha's teaching and our practice is to be as honest as possible. And then also the act of, and this isn't so much in Buddhism, I get it as more from the 12 steps, but I find it so important uh, to make amends when we're not honest. Like when you catch yourself being dishonest, rather than just letting it go, admit it, I was dishonest. I want to make amends. I didn't tell you the truth. I exaggerated. I minimized. I lied. And, and, and really developing a habit and hopefully a community of people where it's like, oh, okay, I forgive you. Thanks for telling me the truth. 47, 50, I don't really give a shit, but I guess it's good for you to tell the truth.
2: And it is, it's so important.
0: And it feels so good to be honest. I spent the first half of my life being quite dishonest. And then the Dharma and this um, practice of right speech, so much more, you know, that loving kindness that we're doing, may I be at ease. When I'm being dishonest, I feel uneasy. When I practice honesty, there's just a sense of relaxation in my nervous system when I don't have anything to hide there's no lies that I'm trying to cover up I'm not what a relief what a sense of ease to be honest even if it means that sometimes there's those difficult conversations where you have to be honest with somebody that you don't really want to be can be a little bit tricky. I think it's important to include the honesty around not only what we are communicating, but also omission. In relationships, there is a level of entitled accountability, I guess is the word. Depending on the the level of your relationship with that person, uh, the accountability that it is Necessary and appropriate to tell this person the truth and to not omit it. When you know you've done something or experience you know, something has happened that you don't really want to admit. And you say, Well, I'm not lying, I'm just not telling the truth. But the nature of the relationship is you're accountable to that person and you need to tell them the truth. And by not telling them the truth. You experience that discomfort of dishonesty, the karma of dishonesty. Omission is a form of lying. When that, and when you, and you know it, you know when it's the appropriate time and you're not saying it because you feel some guilt. You feel some regret. You feel some, I should be saying this and I'm choosing not to because it'll be uncomfortable. So honesty, you get the picture. We're practicing it, developing it, making amends when we're not. Truth speaking. And now when we get to the place of honesty, then we have to develop the um, discernment. Is telling the truth in this situation, uh, is it the appropriate time to tell the truth? Because timing is huge in communication. You ever been in that kind of like where you're in an argument with somebody and you're like, Oh, I'm going to tell you the truth. It's like, tell them the truth, but it doesn't have to be, you know, sometimes it's the wrong timing. You're heated already. You're defensive and it's coming from. So is it true? Is it useful? Sometimes there is some things and that's where the omission, where it's true and it's useful and you're choosing not to, but when it, sometimes it's, Uh, True, but it's not useful. Sometimes people, um, you have to use some discernment about, you don't want to go around being judgmental. Like, well, it's true. Yeah, but it's not useful. Is it true? Is it useful? Is it um, the appropriate time when we're talking about communication? Sometimes we need to wait if there's a big conflict, if there's a big, uh, you have to wait for the right time to have that communication, to make that amends, to um, have that confrontation. It has to be done in the appropriate time. And the more we're practicing the loving kindness and the compassion and trying to develop this habit of uh, friendliness and, and compassion, then we also want to look at is what I'm saying true? Is it useful? Is it the appropriate time? And is it coming from a place of kindness? Is it coming from a a good place, a place of, um, friendliness rather than it's true. It's useful. It's the appropriate time. And I totally want to hurt you. Because you know, sometimes we can use the truth as a sword, as a punishment, as a, um, and then might not be the right time when we're still in that intention to cause harm, connected with last week's, the second factor. Are we having an, an intentional communication that's free from the desire to cause harm? Now, sometimes there are experiences where it's true, it's useful, you're coming from a good place and it's still going to hurt their feelings still going to cause some harm i feel like um, this might be controversial but i feel like like when you're in a committed relationship and you have uh, cheated there's a, a lot of like in, i think in recovery there's a lot of like well if you tell them it will hurt them and that would be selfish of you to hurt them my opinion and i believe supported by the buddhist view is that if you've broken that kind of commitment, it's your job to tell the truth and to know that it's going to hurt them, but that they deserve to know what is actually happening in their relationship, what has happened in their relationship, rather than I'm going to lie to you to protect you, but really to protect myself. So that kind of rigorous honesty, even though it's going to cause some harm, It's uh, the appropriate harm to cause in that case. It's the consequence of our action, to be fully honest. So the next couple of categories for wise communication, um, the Buddha talks about all of the harm caused by gossip and harsh speech. And looking at, as I was saying, like looking at our minds and how much of our views and opinions are based on gossip, based on stuff you've heard. Ever had that experience where you meet somebody you've never met, but you've heard a bunch of shit about them? <laughs> never had a direct experience with the person in my life, but I already have an opinion. Already have a view. I've, I've heard things. Heard some gossip, people say, and sometimes it's positive, right? Not just negative gossip, but like, oh, you know, all your friends are like, oh, yeah, this band is amazing. And you go see the band and you're like, what? This is supposed to be amazing. I had a huge expectation based on all of the praise I'd heard third hand. And then my direct experience was like, these guys are terrible. Or the negative. I think gossip tends to be, don't you have an idea, like gossip is like negative, it's critical. But the way the Buddha is talking about it, he's saying spreading secondhand, he calls it tailbearing, the way that it's translated. It's just saying stuff that you heard, rather than when, you, when somebody tells you something, hey, I heard this, it's kind of like, okay, I don't need to keep spreading that.
2: Because it may or may not be true. Mara's a
0: gossip. The mind. Mine is. My mind loves to talk shit about people. Mara's just like, yeah, you know what I heard? but not feeding that, not indulging it, trying not to believe it, trying to have some renunciation around. Try a practice. It's really hard. I've tried it. Try a practice. Try to go a day, a whole day, without talking about anybody that's not present. Only... Communicating with the people, about the people that you're with. Keep it just in this. It's really hard. You'll find you'll have very little to say. Not that all talking about <laughs> other people is gossip, it's not. Sometimes, you know, you're talking about mutual friends and experiences, and it's not all gossip, but just watching how much of our communication is about other people that aren't present. And how much of what you say about other people that aren't present, would you say in their presence? Both the kind things, praising, would you say it in their presence or would you be a little embarrassed to admit how much you like them? How great you think they are. Would you be as critical to their face as you are behind their back? You know, I've I've got a lot of direct experience with uh, gossip and uh, uh, being a public person and a teacher for all of these years. And this kind of pseudo scandal that happened in our community a few years ago, I heard so much gossip. Almost nobody talked to me directly about it. Very few people talked to me directly about what was being said. Lots of stuff. I mean, I read about it on the internet, (laughs) but almost nobody actually communicated with me about what they had heard and what they were spreading and almost nobody. That kind of like so easy to do it out there. And so, so much of our practice is direct communication. Rather than talking about each other, let's talk to each other. Let's give each other a chance to say, hey, what happened? I heard this. What happened? Rather than I heard it, I'm just going to keep saying it. Harsh speech. I'm a huge fan. (laughs) It depends on your definition. I think that, you know, what the Buddha is saying here is, Speech with the intention to cause harm, harsh. But when it comes to swearing, some people's puritanical conditioning experience all swearing as harsh. If you say fuck, it's offensive. But you can say fuck with the intention of just an exclamation point. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Some people experience that as harsh. I, for years, was teaching in the big, you know, the establishment retreat centers, and I would often get told that, you know, some of the elders felt that my speech was inappropriate because you were swearing in front of the holy dharma hall. And my attitude was always like, that's bullshit, (laughs) because I probably wasn't I and mean, maybe sometimes it was true, but I probably wasn't. I rarely, especially when I'm teaching, say things intentionally to cause harm. I'm just swearing because it's my uh, habit and it's a kind of lazy punctuation and uh, exclamation. And and it's the language of the people. And, you know, this is uh, after the Buddha started teaching and, and then other people were going to go teach. And they said, should we keep it? In this tradition, should we say it just the way you said it? How should we teach? And he said, translate it. Every people that you, and this is in India, where there's all of these different dialects, you know, like dozens, maybe hundreds of different dialects. They don't all speak the same. So he says, when you come into contact with the different people that speak in different uh, languages, translate it to the idiom, to the language of the people that you are speaking to. So I, I always had this, sense as a dharma teacher that i'm mostly speaking to people who speak fuck you mostly (laughs) and that's not always true right like there's definitely people who show up and are like i really want to learn meditation and i don't speak fuck you and it offends me (laughs) and it feels harsh gratuitous Connected with the second factor of the path, what's your intention? That's where we have to check. What's my intention behind what I'm saying? Am I doing it to be harsh, to cause harm? Am I using it as a sword? Or am I using it as a comedy, as an exclamation point, as a little irreverence or? I'll leave it there for tonight. What are your questions, comments, clarifications about the practice of, and this is, I've always felt like this is kind of the hardest part of Buddhist practice. You can meditate every day, be really disciplined about that. You can practice the precepts, but being careful with communication, which you have to do unless you're like on retreat or living as a, some sort of hermit we're constantly communicating and on our communicating is constantly generating karma for us all day, every day. So hard to be constantly mindful about what am I saying? Why am I saying it? Is it true? Is it useful? Is it the appropriate time? Should I wait? So really be aware. And it's so easy to go on autopilot and just start espousing our views and opinions and as though they're the truth. So any questions or comments? Please.
3: Um, so, so I guess I have a question regarding uh, the nature of the relationship between contention and maybe the, the karmic burden of, of saying something untrue um, and reflecting on in my own experience with uh, honesty, and particularly like in relation to... Trying to, you know, uh, realign uh, what's it called, character, uh, character flaws, and like twelve-step programs, right? And like really having a really challenging time with this concept of honesty because, you know, throughout most of my time in AA, I felt like, you know, yeah, like I, I know, like textbook definition, this is being dishonest. But I don't really feel that bad about being dishonest because I feel like the intention there was not to harm somebody else or maybe I was allowing myself to harm myself, you know, which I said was not as bad as harming somebody else. But then coming here actually in refuge and, and sort of doing the truth inventory and then <laughs> learning more about sort of Buddhism in general and, and looking at this maybe more from the perspective of um, like dependent origination where it's like, Looking all like, like, this has been the case, like, I've always been confused about honestly, like, going all the way back, right, and, like, looking at well, people tell me, like, a, like, may, I mean, I'm empathetic, right, and, like, I seem to be intelligent, and then realizing, well, maybe that was just, you know, I don't really think there's a, nat- like, nature imposes a morality, so to speak, so it's like, well, maybe I was just, like, you know, I could read people, and, like, knew kind of what I wanted, right, and so I just, I kind of used that to get what I want, um, and then even, like, taking that back even further to, like, oh, when we were on the savannah, right? Like, it's probably better for these other people to, like, exaggerate that the lion's really big, you know, rather than, like, you know, small. <laughs> or that the berries are, like, really bountiful, you know, yeah. rather than net barren, you know? And so I guess, like, coming at it from that perspective, I do you feel like that makes sense to me, where it's like, okay, now I understand, like, why this, this line is there, you know? Like, it's not because I'm bad, necessarily. It's just this thing that's been in the works like the whole time you know
0: 100 percent,
3: yeah so I, I mean i guess like <laughs> i'm trying to even make sense of like okay how do i use that like is that truthful like is that not just insanity or is like that's something i can actually apply in the way that i do like come about to try to make amends you know for the times that i have been dishonest as...
1: mm-hmm. well i hope
0: that this conversation Um, is helpful, which is all of what Buddhism is doing, is just normalizing it. And it's a very different perspective than that 12-step perspective that um, neuroticizes it and, and blames and shames and says, you know, you're defective and you're, you know. This is just like the human condition. You live with a mind that's not honest. Of course you weren't honest. And this sort of delusional, puritanical, like, good people tell the truth all of the time they don't exist actually it's a fantasy of the archetype of um everyone is dishonest i mean every child lies even in the healthiest homes they still you just you know they get a little self-conscious and then they they're like no it wasn't me
3: How do you feel about Santa Claus?
0: About telling the kids about Santa Claus? I don't, I think we did it. I think we lied to the kids about some of the holiday stuff. But not for long. And, you know, I I would do a thing where, like, I would just sort of reframe it for my kids. I'm like, I don't know, what do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. You think Santa Claus?
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, no. There's, I don't know. There's, I've, I've been absolutely guilty of some dishonesty in parenting, and maybe there's even some karma in the dishonesty in parenting. Um, but I feel like, if you know, even if it is, it's worth it to protect. You know, with the intention of protecting and and letting. You know, some some delusions are useful for the human developmental process. The delusion of safety. You don't want to pull that from people too soon.
2: But there's no such
0: thing as safety, by the way. (laughs) You're all old enough, I can tell you now. (laughs) We're out of time. Those last couple of questions I'll take afterwards. If you want to hang out, I'll I'll take the questions from you. Um, Class is done by donation. Um, the rent on this building, the landlord had been keeping it a little bit lower for us and has just raised it. So our share of the um, rent has raised about a little over $1,000 a month. So your donations are more necessary than ever than usual. Um, So be as generous as you can be just to help support against the stream. We're a nonprofit. Your donations are tax deductible if you would like to deduct them from your taxes, you can. Um, if you may make large donations, we can give you a letter. I think it's something, maybe anybody know, it's a couple hundred bucks or 500 bucks or something like that a year that you can donate and just write off without them asking for a receipt. But if it's more than a couple hundred, some number, then you actually have to have a tax receipt. Um, it's the information that I have. So please be generous. The drop-in class encourage you to donate around $15 or $20 if you can. Those who have more, please give more. Those who have less, know that you're welcome here, whether you have anything to give or not. This class is is offered freely. Everyone's welcome. And uh, it's expensive to maintain a meditation center. So please be generous at home as well as here in person. The link is in the um, chat. So you can go to the website. You can donate. You could consider becoming a monthly supporter of Against the Stream, and um, it's good karma to give. So uh, not that you need to give to us, but it's just good karma to give, to be generous. So We'll leave it there for tonight. couple of announcements, which are that I have a day-long... Um, on april 16th you can register for that on the website it's from nine to four we're going to take the precepts the refuges we're going to meditate together we're going to have some small group um, exercises of talking about our relationship to honesty and and the five precepts so join me Um, there is a charge for that if you can afford it pay and register if you can't afford it i'll give you a scholarship you're welcome to come uh, and pay whatever you want to pay or can pay. You're all welcome to that, both on Zoom. It's available on Zoom and in person. I do a hybrid for the day long. I think it's April 16th. I'd have to look, but I think it's that second Saturday, April 16th. So plan to come if you can. And then the Memorial Day retreat uh, is open for registration. It's in May, end of May. I think it starts on the 27th and um there is some scholarship for that too. If you can if you want to come to this three-day silent meditation retreat with me in Joshua Tree, and it's like six fifty or something like that for the three days, if you can't afford it, there are some half-price scholarships where you can come for three hundred dollars for the three days. So, uh, but they'll go soon. So register if you're planning to come to that. There's limited scholarship money, um, and if you can afford it, pay for it. Leave the money for the people who can't afford it, but join us if you can. May any goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be gathered and offered outward in all directions. May each of us become more and more honest, more and more kind, more and more skillful with our communication. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. And see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast. This is Noah Levine, founder of Against the Stream and Refuge Recovery. If you feel moved to leave a donation, there's a link in the show notes.